0: Good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. Uh, we gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and to respond in worship. And so I want to take a moment to not only just welcome you, but especially if you're visiting, we're glad that you can be here uh, this Sunday. If you would like to leave your information with the church to be part of the weekly email or receive other updates, uh, there is a, an information pad on the, the welcome table that you, can, you saw coming in. You can just fill your name out there, and we'll make sure we add your information uh, to the church a couple other things to mention. Uh, during this time, we're having shorter services than normal. We'll have a service for about 45, 50 minutes. And we're not passing the offering plate. So if you'd like to give to the to the work of the church, there's a, a silver uh, offering plate in the back. Or you can give online through the church website. Um, a couple other things. I brought some, some uh, flyers up. There is, on the information table as you came in, there is a, a half sheet about our Kids Week Vacation Bible School that's happening at the end of July. So pick that up, or uh, there's also a, a sheet there that you can sign up your child. Uh, you can talk to Melinda for more information. And there's also this flyer that has a sun on it that has upcoming kind of summer events for the church. And so you can grab one of those. It was also part of the weekly email that went out. Uh, but, you know, stop by the table and grab those if you are uh, interested. One other thing to mention is that we're having uh, communion today, and instead of having people come forward to break bread together, we're we're participating together through the prepackaged elements. And so um, you know, hopefully you grabbed on the way in. If anyone, does anyone need one that's pl- taking communion? Because Rob can bring you one. Anybody need one? <laughs> yeah. Can you bring up to Noah? Yeah, thank you. No. Sorry to put you on the spot. Um, well, God's called us to gather. And uh, before we begin our service, I want to go ahead and dismiss the children. There's uh, a preschool class in children's worship downstairs. They can make their way to the, to the back door. and Melinda's there, and the classrooms are in the basement. And those classes will continue uh, through the whole service uh, and finish the same time the service does. So anyone that would like to go can make their way to the back, and uh, Melinda's there to meet them. Well, God's called us. Let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God in worship.
1: Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 73. Will you stand with me, and we'll sing together.
0: Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Pray together. Lord, we give you thanks that you have called us to come and to worship. We acknowledge you now as our creator and our redeemer. And as we gather, we do so in the name of Christ. And so we thank you for who Christ is. Then we confess and gather his name as the one who has the, the full deity and bodily form that he came into this world, uh, the word and flesh. And thank you, Lord, that not only did Christ come to give witness to the truth, but he came to love sinners, to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. Not because of what we have done or in some way that what we deserve, but because of your grace from beginning to end. And so, Lord, we come today giving you thanks and acknowledging you, Christ, that by your cross we have been lifted up, Our sin and our shame and our guilt nailed to the cross to be left and that we've been lifted with you to the right hand of god by your power and so we come and we hold fast to this reality and to this truth that rests in christ and we ask that you'd help us to see you and encounter you today to strengthen our faith that we may walk in new ways Lord, we also thank you as we gather on this fourth of july that we give thanks for our leaders and we pray a prayer of for wisdom and for guidance for our president and for our mayor and for all the different civic leaders and officials we pray that they would act with justice and mercy with generosity and lord we pray that as Christians, as those who follow you, we remember that you have placed us in a location and called us to be neighbors. And so Lord, we ask by your spirit to help us to be neighbors who love others, that we would see our neighbors and respect and see their experience and their needs, that we may love and serve them as Christ has loved and served us. Lord, we thank you for the letter of James that we've been studying that is a a great teaching to us, for us individually and as a church and for a community. Inviting us not to walk in the ways of arrogance or selfish ambition or to look out for ourselves, but to be neighbors, brothers and sisters who walk in the ways of Christ, humble and gentle, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere, open to reason, a desire to live not for ourselves, but to live for what is good and true. And so we ask that your spirit would strengthen us, that we may learn again of your love, that we may share it with those around us. I give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Well, having gathered in God's presence, it's good for us to confess our sins, to acknowledge that God is different from us, and so this is a time for us to do it uh, collectively but also individually it's not a chance it's for us to somehow beat ourselves up or somehow try to make god convinced that we feel bad enough it's a chance to turn to honesty to the great mercy and grace of christ so i invite you to let's confess together you'll see in your order of worship almighty god you watch over the weary with loving kindness and you have promised that in christ you will faithfully bring forth justice Gracious Father, we confess that we sometimes grow weary of trying to understand the suffering in this world and in struggling against the injustice in our own hearts. Help us cling to your word and remember that, in your kindness, you have promised that you'll never break a bruised reed or snuff out a faintly burning wick. Grant us rest and give us courage to trust in you and not despair. Amen. <clears throat>
1: To me, all who are weary, come to me.
0: I invite you to take a moment to bring your burdens to Christ and to confess your sins. Jesus, we thank you for the invitation and the promise, the invitation for the burdened and weary to come, and the promise that your yoke is light, that in you there is freedom and life. We thank you that you hear us when we pray, and we thank you that in the, your grace, in your cross, that your mercy is always greater than our sin. So we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me that we can say together these words of assurance from Ephesians 1. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Amen. This is the good news of Christ. You may be seated.
2: The Old Testament lesson is from um, the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verses 23 through 31. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? The Gospel lesson is from Matthew 7, verses one through five and 12 through 14. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many." For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." This is the word of the Lord.
3: Well, good morning, good morning, it's good to be with you all this holiday weekend. Uh, We're going to continue our uh, sermon series in the book of James. And one of the major themes that we've been looking at in the book of James, and what James is known for, is its wisdom. It's wisdom literature. But it's not just wisdom um, that provides self-help. It's not just wisdom and gimmicks to obtain a better life. But it's life-changing wisdom. It's life-renewing wisdom. It's wisdom that both challenges the way that we live our every day, the way that we relate with one another, do our jobs, go about our lives. And I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this passage, as we've gone through James, it's pretty, it's pretty convicting and pretty challenging. And we, and we encounter another passage today that even brings stronger language, a, a warning. And yet there's good news in this passage for us. So let us turn there now. James chapter five, verses one through six. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let us pray. Gracious, merciful, steadfast God, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today to ask that your grace and your mercy and your love would draw near to us through your word and that your spirit would move in our hearts. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you. Uh, I'm kind of a, I like a good courtroom scene, especially from a movie, whether it's the Pelican Brief or my favorite, The Runaway juror, Jury, um, or, or TV shows. One of my wife's and I's favorite TV shows was The Good Wife. You have these, this scene of a courtroom and justice and truth is trying to come out in these places. And the defense team and the prosecution are laying before us evidence about what is right and what is wrong, what is true. And oftentimes, these are pretty uh, dramatized for our entertainment, but I find it interesting that even within our own day, we now have television and live streaming that allows us to actually watch courtroom proceedings. And we know some famous cases that have caught our nation's attention, whether it's O.J. Simpson, Ted Bundy, Scott Peterson, George Zimmerman, or Derek Chauvin. These trials have caught our attention because there's a desire for justice. There's a desire for truth. And the evidence and the arguments must be laid out before us. And in some of these cases, there's actually political and social ramifications that we're waiting for. So I find it a little strange in our passage today because in many ways, the the audience or the tone has changed. God, uh, through James, has been speaking to his people through the letter of James. And now there's this shift. this this directness towards the rich, this strong warning that comes. And I, I think for us as we think about this courtroom scene is that James is actually live streaming us into this warning. He wants his people and for us to take note of a judgment that will come and that he wants us to bear fruit to this warning, bear witness to it so that we may not be enticed to follow in the same way. So this warning of coming judgment, this reckoning is given to those who are called the rich. So who are the rich throughout James? And is the warning to the Christian community or to those who are outside the community? I think just based on the passage itself, I believe it's fair to say that initially This warning is directed to the rich, those of economic wealth, those with material comfort and means and influence. There's a description of physical goods, of money, silver, of luxury, living in luxury. The rich are those who are in places of position and power who are responsible for paying wages. They are those who have plenty in their life and quite frankly, live in relative comfort and security. But the rich are not just those who have material wealth. Often the the scriptures describe the rich as those who have power, those who have influence, those with positions. Their resources allow them the ability to be movers and shakers in the world around them. It allows them to be self-sufficient, self-autonomous, self-made, On the other hand, the reverse is true for the poor. The poor are those with little power or influence. Oftentimes the scriptures relates the poor and says that they are those who are righteous because they live humble and dependent lives upon God alone. Their lives are easily affected by these movers and shakers who do have resources, who have decisions and can make decisions that actually affect their daily life. That's why at the end of the passage, James says that the poor cannot resist. James' context for us, he's writing to Christian churches and communities of people, many of whom are scattered across the nations in different regions, many of them who have fled persecution because of their faith in Christ. As exiles and immigrants, they are now in new lands seeking for employment, looking for wages and provision. Their new employers are those who are rich, those of means, while they are those who are the day laborers, living paycheck to paycheck. And it's into this context that God gives to James and to us this sharp and pointed warning He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, I don't know about you. One, those words are extremely strong. But two, in my everyday experience, that's not actually quite what I see or experience. We even read this and heard this from Psalm 73. Oftentimes, the rich seem to be getting richer. Those with power and position often use it to harm. Banks are too big to fail, and those who have power are backing and held with little accountability for the way that they use their power. Yet James wants to invite us to overhear this judgment, this warning against the rich and the powerful, the influencers in this courtroom-like scene so that we may not be tempted to this way of the world. But God reveals to us through his word that there will be a judgment and that he is collecting evidence. And there's two ways in which this evidence is being manifest. That shows and reveals, quite frankly, the folly or the shortcoming of this way of life. So what is this evidence? James first points to this accumulation of wealth and in particular, an accumulation of wealth to gain security, to gain control of one's life and one's circumstances. He states that the rich have laid up treasures in the last days. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus teaches to his disciples where there's a a very successful farmer, and he has a great harvest. He's overflowing with wealth and success, and he builds more barns. And in the midst of him gaining this security and control, he comes to the end of his life. And what he had gained was for nothing. Now, maybe on the surface, surface, this might seem prudent. (laughs) Aren't these folks just saving for a rainy day when they might need something uh, to help in a time of need? But this accumulation is not just mere saving. It's not just mere saving for a down payment on a house, or to get a new car, or to provide for one's children in college, but rather it's a placing of trust and security and comfort that comes from this accumulation of wealth. See, James uses this image of of rotting riches, of uh, moth-eaten clothing, of silver and gold that is corroding, Because ultimately, James is wanting to use this imagery to remind us that wealth only gets you so far. It only can provide so much security, that it ultimately fails. Is this a judgment against wealth and material goods and possessions? No, the judgment is actually coming from this idea or this attitude that it can provide me something that I need that this wealth will make me self-sufficient and independent, that I actually don't need God to be involved in my life and I don't need others as well. Maybe to kind of bring this home to us, last weekend I got to take the youth kids out to the beach and I made a lunch and it consisted of a sandwich and a peach and unfortunately my sandwich got a bunch of sand on it, which was disappointing. So I was really looking forward to this peach And fortunately, it has a nice cover, and it was protected from the sand. And when I bit into this peach, though, that I thought would be juicy and fresh, instead I ate probably the the driest peach I have ever ate in my life. It was so disappointing and dry that I couldn't even eat it. I provide this illustration because I think in some ways that's the disappointment and the reality of this accumulation of wealth of goods for our security and comfort, that at the end of the day, it really is fleeting. For those of us here, most of us have grown up in the Western world, in particular the United States. We have enjoyed immense security and comfort. And yet at the same time, as a society, as a whole, we are one of the most discontent and unhappy. One of the latest polls that I read showed that only 14% of Americans would actually describe themselves as happy or content. Now I recognize that part of that's maybe skewed from, from COVID and the recent year, two years that we've had, but those trends have been pretty consistent on a downward spiral. And mental health issues such as anxiety and depression and suicide have all but increased across all age groups in particular with our young people. As human beings our greed and accumulation of wealth flows not solely from a love of the material world but this desire for connection and security that is often difficult to find here. The second piece of evidence builds on the first. See, if we believe that this world is only what we can obtain from it, that it's the only way that we can find any sense of security and comfort, then we will go to all means to obtain it. To the point of actually harming one another. The context that we see here are landowners. And in the ancient world, they would have been the uber-elite, the uber-wealthy. They would have owned land. They would have had power. And it describes this practice of holding back a wage a day or two from their laborers. The same laborers who had to use that pay to have enough money to feed their family for the day. You see, what's being described here for us and even in our own world is that it seems as if there is a power that pushes down those who are truly vulnerable, those who are in need. It's not just that the rich and the powerful are practicing fraud, but it's at the result of lavish lifestyles. And when God sees this, he judges it. He hears the cries of those who are oppressed, those who are wrong. He hears and sees it. And he has been consistent throughout time and space when he has done this. When Cain murdered his brother Abel, Abel's very blood is described as crying out from the ground. And God acted. God judged Cain and continued the line of man. When the people of God were enslaved in Egypt, God heard their pleas and cries for rescue. God acted and judged Pharaoh and freed his people. When King David used his power to steal a man's wife and murder him, God sent his prophet to confront David. God acted and brought justice. When God's people were without religious leaders and were under the impression of a foreign power, God acted by sending his son into the world, the very one who we claim to be the righteous one. But it's not just that God comes to judge with a mighty hand, but that we have a God who actually knows the abuse that comes with this greed, with this accumulation of wealth. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, his friend, for 30 pieces of silver, the same silver that's described that will not last Jesus was condemned by the religious leaders of Judah, the same leaders who placed unnecessary spiritual and religious burdens upon God's people. And Jesus was murdered by an imperial power that was threatened by his kingdom, by the kingdom of God, because it's reversing everything. The kingdom of God uplifts the poor and humbles the proud. I recognize today is the 4th of July, and and there isn't much to celebrate. The themes of freedom. um, In many ways, there are also things to grieve and things to be honest about. And part of what I think that this passage might encourage us into is to be reminded that the idolatry of wealth and power will come to an end, that it is it is not in our best interest to see ourselves as self-sufficient from a God who is the source of our life and that our history is flawed. It's filled with those who have been oppressed and pushed down, whether it's our African-American brothers and sisters and the story of slavery, whether it's even our own sisters and mothers who have experienced a withholding of wages in their own way. There's a financial and economic murder that has often played out time and time again within our history. But maybe, maybe, God has another way. And I'll end on this note here. God invites us, the church, to follow him in his generosity and in the grace of Christ. I quoted from this gentleman last time, Miroslav Voth wrote a book called Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. And his point in this book is to point us back to this reality that as followers of Christ, we are sustained solely by the gift of God's endless and boundless grace. He writes this, the flowing of God's gift from us to others is the overflowing of those very gifts that Christ has brought into us with his presence. The flow of gifts both in and out of us happen when we receive the one gift of God, the Christ who dwells in us and works through us. Simply put, because of God's abundant, boundless, perfect grace towards us in Christ, We no longer, as a church community, as Christians, as followers of Christ, have to operate in the same fear and scarcity that often consumes the world that we find ourselves in. As James already reminds us, every good and perfect gift is from God alone. If this is so, then we, the community of Christ, no longer need to operate out of this fear but rather in a trusting and secure confidence in the comfort of God's boundless grace and love towards us. We no longer have to accumulate wealth out of a sense of security when our security and our hope is found in God alone. We no longer have to look at our neighbors as impediment and obstacles to our comfort, but rather we can pour out to them with our resources out of love because of God's love for us. God means to move us from self-centered, self-reliance towards dependence upon him, the one in which all good things comes. God means to create a people who demonstrate his same generosity, his same outpouring love of grace to our neighbors. So this warning comes to us, and it is a challenge. It challenges us today. And let us be careful not to just point the fingers at those who we think are greedy or abuse their power, but let us look inward as well. And as we look inward, we look to the one who was gracious to us also. Let us pray. Gracious, merciful God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel, that you are the source of all life, that you are the source of our grace and that you call us to display your same generosity and love to those around us and that we can rest secure in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Will you please stand with me and we'll sing together.
0: People on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And this table is a sign, a a witness to who Christ is and to his ministry, his love for us. As our passage invites us to think about riches and strength, this table makes clear that Christ, the one who had full bodily, the the divinity fully dwelling in him, who had equality with God, he did not hold on to that. Philippians tells us that He released that, did not grasp to it, but came and humbled himself to become a human and take up the role of a servant, to die even on the cross. And the gospel tells us over and over again, and this table gives witness that Christ and his riches gave his riches for the poor, to make the poor rich. And Christ, the strong one, gave his strength to the weak to make the weak strong. And this table invites us to stop grasping after things that will go away, and take hold of the unsearchable and exhaustible riches of Christ. If we know of our need for God's grace, if we have faith in Christ as the one who has come, the righteous one who has come to meet our needs, then this table is for you a table of grace set for sinners, a table of strength set for those who are weak, a table of riches set for those who are poor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, and we pray that you set aside this bread and cup, that you bless it. And that, Lord, as we participate this day, that your spirit would be here to minister to us, to lift up our heads, that we'd find again our identity and our hope and our strength in you, Lord. Please minister to us, Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're taking communion today, you can open the the prepackaged things that you received on the way in. Is anybody planning to take communion but didn't receive one? I have, we can, there's some more that we can pass out. Anybody need one? Okay we we'll go ahead and open those. On the night that he was betrayed, Christ took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this table that you set for sinners. We thank you for how it is a sign of who you are in your ministry and we pray that as we receive in faith that your spirit would grant us your assurance, but also strengthen us that we can walk in your ways, that we may love and serve others, being people marked by generosity. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may stand with me that we can respond to the table together. Lord Jesus, help us cast aside our own pursuits of exaltation and be humble as we proclaim the mystery of faith. blessing i'm going to invite you to sit back down i want to take a moment to invite jeff and wanda um, murray to come forward jeff is the pastor here at the nazarene church and uh, jeff and wanda are getting ready to head back to ireland but i want to take a moment to say thank you um i'll let them come on up yeah hey, wanda, hey jeff um as many of you know the church was not the school has not been available to us for a long time because of COVID restrictions and so I just want to say thank you to, to Jeff and Wanda for opening the church and showing hospitality to us to be able to gather and have a place of worship um, on Sunday morning. So we have a gift for you to say thank you. And uh, yeah, so you know, let's, let's, let's express our appreciation. I pray for you as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I mentioned, Jeff and Wanda are going to uh, head back to Ireland, which is home. Um, but I so let's say a prayer for them and for the ministry. Lord, thank you for Jeff Wanda and Wanda and the way that they've served and led uh, the Nazarene Church here in our neighborhood. And thank you for their uh, representation of Christ and their, their love and generosity to, to others. And Thank you for how that's been a blessing to us. And uh, We pray, Lord, for their time in Ireland, that you give them safe transition, and, and as they return to jobs there, that you would uh, uh, let those jo- jobs be a blessing to them, but also be a place in which they can use their gifts to, to glorify you, Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, yeah, thank you. All right, Eric's gonna close with the
3: benediction. Would you please stand with me? And we have a gift-giving God, one who is gracious to us. So receive this blessing from the Lord. May the boundless love of God the Father the abundant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the infinite and eternal power of the Holy Spirit be with you all forevermore. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.